It's the second cup of Joe and John with Joe Elvis and John Dwyer. Joe, I want to uh, I want to congratulate you. Right off the top. You know why? Again? Again. (laughs) What else have I done? Well, we have 10 shows, 10 Uh episodes of podcasts in the can. Finger snaps. This is 11, and uh, we have not been canceled yet. Isn't it great? And I just want to dish that out because everything that I've done in my life and such people will go, man, I've always wanted to try something. Or they have that idea, whether it's a business, a song, a car, that they're anything. Uh, It's fun. We talked about this. You really motivated it, made it happen. And we discussed it, had beers with it, bought some equipment, and now we have 10 shows in. And, and, you, and the reason we're not canceled is um, you, you, the only way you cancel a podcast is, is if you quit. I think we don't care is really what it is. We just, it's all for fun. And uh, it's just wonderful, especially here with our, with our home at Main Street. Yeah, we are at uh, Main Street Media TV Studios. TV. This isn't on the air. Oh, oh, that's a teaser, and we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. But we have moved from the JTG, the Jobs for Tennessee Graduates, the nonprofit I run, East Nashville Global Headquarters, that huge studio known as my former clothes closet. <laughs> we and we've moved into another smaller closet. Like, I'm not sure. If, well, this is not the Jeffersons. Okay, With some I'm not sure if we're moving on, moving on up. We are on the east side. We're yeah. at Old Hickory. Uh, by the way, my wife has a has a uh, towel that says, um, you know, the way you you stop a podcast is you quit, right? You just say we're not doing it anymore. And and she has a towel that says, corks are for quitters. <laughs> That's. I look forward that, to that, that day. True. Hey, listen, <laughs> as we go to mean, uh, Main Street Media, uh, we've decided to kind of, I wouldn't say tighten up the show, but have a little structure. And so uh, we have a number of segments. We want this podcast to be like a second cup of coffee in the morning. We want it to be motivational, inspiring, perhaps a day brightener, uh, not too heavy, uh, and and hopefully make you smile, maybe even laugh a little bit with us. So uh, uh, with that, we have uh, this segment. <laughs> Common sense would tell you not to look to Joe and John for this, but time for life lessons from Joe and John. How could this go wrong? (laughs) Get ready, nation. All right. Are the knives and forks up or the knives and forks down? In the dishwasher. You've washed off the dishes. Do you do the dishes or does Lindley? I that's a loaded question. Independent game. I know I do. I do most of them. I do stack them for a while. I didn't mind being a bus boy. I didn't mind doing with the fraternity. I'm a dishwash kind of. I pitch in at at, you know at parties and stuff. So yeah. So you you clean the plates. You put them in easy spots. Cups are up top. You got forks. You got knives. Forks up. Forks down. What do you think? Uh, mine, uh, mine are down. Yeah, I don't. And knives are down because knives point and knives cut. Well, that's true. So you don't have a technique? I don't. Which way would you do it? If I gave you one now, stick it in there, John. I'd probably put it down. Yeah. Yeah, because you I want to put it down. Thing. Well, and it's also when you set a table, you put the uh, the knife uh, blade looking inwards. It's never outwards. Uh, this Did topic you know caused a half-hour argument Did in my it? house. So uh, car seat, when you get out, uh, example, my wife's shorter than myself and Lindley than you, too. Does she put the seat all the way back or does it stay all the way up so you can't you get know, in it? You know we don't have children. I mean, why is that? Matter. That's not that even a. That's not even a question. Put the seat back. Put the seat 
It's why I don't have kids because I didn't want to have to deal with a car seat. Uh, my life lesson is I saw a. Um, uh, I don't know. Mine was a lesson. Yeah, well, yeah maybe to know. deter an argument in your life, <laughs> get yourself an argument. I saw a great quote, and we're going to steal a lot of inspirational quotes. It's not like you know, we're we're not preaching here. No. Okay, we're just uh, we're just stealing information and passing it along. Good artists like borrow, doing, great artists steal. So I saw this. It said a person in seven feet of water that drowns and drowns in 20 feet of water still drowns. And the point is everybody has baggage. Everybody has stress in their life. Don't make yours thinking it's bigger or you're having a competition with, with that. Don't you think there's just a lot of people going, well, I I'm going through this. Well, I'm going through this is like, how much is to reset and just know that everybody has stuff. If they got a door dink and, and somebody else gets a bad call about a parent, um, I'm not saying they're the same, but I'm saying just respect the fact that everybody has a different level of how they deal with it. And um, I just thought that was a good quote. Well, seven foot or 80 feet deep. Uh, it, it's, it's always amazing how just one decision might be even a tiny one can send you on the road to making it feel like it's 80 foot deep. And I, we all definitely go through that, especially coming off COVID where people have changed careers. They work from home. Should I keep doing what I'm doing with my life? Look at us in our podcast. You know, yeah. now seems more than ever a great time to don't uh, judge as much yeah. as because, you know, sure. we all judge. Sure. That's what we do. So uh, we've got another segment coming up and uh, we've had guests throughout. We've had some wonderful guests in our first 10. Yeah. But uh, let's bring it on. Shall I spin the Rolodex? Of the, uh, spin hey, we know people. Let's take a spin through Joe and John's Rolodex. Did you listen to the Beatles growing up? You know, yes, because my two older sisters that, that uh, are three or four years older, so they were more in that that window. I was more of a a, a late sixties hard rock guy, but Me too. certainly, uh, you know, I was not around. I was one years old when they were on, you know, Ed Sullivan. So that's that's not a problem. But I'm fascinated by the documentary that that was recently released with those lost. Uh, uh, tapes. So I got, and you got to be really in the weeds to watch that because it is just watching people, you know, create in a studio and, and it's pretty unfiltered. So it was pretty. I loved the picture of the who, who's next, the stage stacked with amps sky high, Roger Daltrey and his crazy hair and his shirt off Townsend with his guitar flip, Keith Moon on the drums and just uh, ungodly amounts of sound uh forward that into the 70s and 80s of the great arena rock bands you know all my friends who like the beatles were uh just weak minion mouses and so i said you know i don't like these guys beatles and then as i got older i loved the beatles i grew into them i, I did too that. and and we are was too impatient probably is is fascinating so you have listened about that lennon mccartney harrison Ringo and Courtney. He was booted off in the early days. <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe he didn't Little pay the, known fact. It was. Yeah, Courtney. And so our guest is Richard Courtney. Yeah. Richard Courtney, if you're in Nashville, you know who Richard Courtney is. Richard Courtney has made his millions in real estate sales, uh, but has just as a successful creative side. Uh, he's owned Eggman Publishing. He's on our uh, local station here, Hippie Radio and has a show called From Me to You. Richard's, Richard uh, is just a tremendous guy, which you're going to learn, and probably uh, the most Beatles historian, author, radio host, and speaker. And we're very grateful to have him this morning in the Main Street Studios. Hi, Richard. 
Hello, Joe. John, good to be here. Thank you. How you doing? How, how's, uh, I guess, let's, uh, we'll start with the Beatles and the fact of um, what was it back in your day, since you're only 48, what was it in your day that... Uh, <laughs> that drove you to the Beatles that you fell in love all. I mean, there's, there's Beatles fans like me. I like the Beatles, but then there's fans that can tell you every song and what was happening and why George Martin recorded it this way. And who was in the band at the time or recording what, what was it that inspired you to just where you said, these guys are it. Well, I was about old and, uh, and I was with a friend of mine who had older sisters. They were about 13. So they were uh, intriguing to me, to say the least. And uh, back then, everyone only had one stereo in their house that looked like a piece of furniture. And they, <laughs> and they were listening to Elvis. And by then, it was the Elvis, uh, the movie Elvis, not the, uh, not the Sun Records exciting Elvis. And, uh, and I didn't get that at all. And then one day, they put on I Want to Hold Your Hand. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. I was only eight years old. So I caught him on Ed Sullivan a little later. And and I was hooked until they turned into the psychedelic Beatles. Then I had to switch to Herman's Hermits for a while. And then, and then I grew back into the Beatles. Well, was Sergeant Pepper's that, that, that psychedelic kind of the yellow submarine? And is that what you're referring to? Yeah, they were, that was in 67. So I was only about 12 and, and they had all the facial hair and they talked, talked about uh, smoking a little weed and maybe taking a little LSD every now and then. And, and being a Columbia, little fellow i didn't uh, i didn't buy into that and mrs brown you've got a lovely daughter and uh i'm into something good sounded like the beatles used to sound and then when i got to be about 17 i said man that pepper thing that's pretty cool uh the the uh the the show is it james corden who has the i drive we sing car, car karaoke yeah that's james corden him yeah. uh, paul mccartney did that show and if you never saw it watch it it is tremendous and paul really kind of exposes himself he goes back to his original house and he talks about the song rooms he wrote this song and someone actually lives in that house now and his father had a ton of influence on him and he was talking about some of the first songs that they wrote and he was playing them for his father and his father was giving him kind of that back to the future uh, correction. Like if, if you'd say she loves you, whoa, 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 it'll be much better. Well, not really, but, but it was fun seeing Paul's uh, just raw rookie song like writing days uh, to where him and uh, Lennon would become such a, a songwriting powerhouse. Yeah, it was unbelievable. That, that, that video is, um, of course it's had about, 25 million views by now but it really uh and, and when james corden says uh i can't believe i wish my father could see me i wish my father was here and mccartney says he is and yep. then it's really touching the whole thing and him going back to his house and his his father really they, they said she loves you yeah 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 and he said i don't know why you people want to want to speak like americans it's yes 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 so. <laughs> <laughs> Paul's self-deprecating uh, ways still bleeds forward today. He's just a cool guy who has just really dinged it. And uh, that, that, I think that just comes through in all his, his live shows and all his songwriting and uh, especially the albums themselves. There's always just that kind of left field side that comes out that you weren't expecting. Yeah. And he, he's, one thing that's great about him and also not as great is he, he keeps up with everything that's going on now. And so he's, he has a lot of things that are, are contemporary to this time period, but they don't age as well as yesterday and other, other of his, what turned out to be classics, but band off run, you know, half of his band quit when they were on the way to the studio to record that he lost his drummer and his lead guitar player. So he and Denny Lane and Linda had to make that album by themselves, which of course is probably the best album that they have. I had, I have a pretty good Paul McCartney story. I did get to meet him once 
And uh, and I said, have you, and, and we were at the Bridgestone. He was, he and I, and Carl Dean, who was the mayor at the time. And I said, are you going over to the Ryman because everyone makes such a big deal about the Ryman? He said, I don't know what it, what the Ryman is. And I said, surely when you were here in '74, because he's you know he recorded Junior's Farm and and uh, Sally Jeeb and wrote those songs when he was here in Nashville. He stayed here for about six months rehearsing for the Venus and Mars tour. But so uh, I said, have you been to the Ryman? He said, no, I don't even, what is the Ryman? I said, oh, the home of the Grand Ole Opry, the Mother House, all this wonderful thing. He said, and when, when whoever took him there, took him there, they made him get on his back and crawl underneath the pews, the seats there. And he said, there was all this tobacco and snuff and bubble gum and everything. Now who in the world would take Paul McCartney to the Ryman and make him crawl under the pews? <laughs> That's a great story. What was he like when you got to talk to him and stuff? Did you sense a different side or is it just as true as what you thought it was? Well, it was it was amazing just to see him in person because he, I had been a fan by then for years. This was in 2010 when he came back after the flood. And Carl Dean, uh, who was a mayor at the time, was a good friend. And, and I'd been asking him the whole time to take me back there. And Carl said, I'm not going to do that because he, he, even though he's a political person, he's not very... Uh, outgoing and when we got there he he said his like five minutes and then he quit so i i just kind of took over and uh he, he was amazing and one another funny story he had i don't i don't know if any if you know jim della croce he was in the music sure. yeah heard the name man. so jim's daughter sean was going to be a student at um at lipa the liverpool institute of performing arts which was where paul and george went to grammar school and then Paul and George mainly Paul have have turned it into this uh, school kind of like fame they have about 6,000 people audition they take about 30 people a year and I'd been to lunch with uh, with William Morris's son uh, Jason who you may know too and he's he said his niece who is Sean Del Croce was going to go to Lippa that year and so uh, when when I was in there I said you know we have I explained what Lippa was to Carl Dean and 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 because uh, I was hoping we'd get one here, and, and and Paul said, "Yeah, it's you know it's really exciting." I said, "We have someone coming there from Nashville next year," and I couldn't remember who it was. And uh, he said, "Well, I want to know who it is." And I said, "Well, you know." By then, he had made me so at ease. He was so nice that, that I, I said, "Well, just here." I had a, a pen because I was going to try to get his autograph later, which he gave us too. And uh, I said, "Just give me your email or your phone number or something. When I find out who it is, all right." He said, "Nice try." And uh, so I had to give his people my people. But on the way out, uh, and the, it was interesting too when we went back to meet him. Uh, there were three tents in the. Bridgestone in the breezeway there and they were all the three big black tents that looked just alike and they took us in one and when you walk in there was a maze you could go one of three ways and then once you went there you could go one of three ways and then uh, we sat there for about 20 minutes they took us to a different tent which was uh, and, and they almost wouldn't let us in then and we had the mayor with us and, and his, his uh, detective that went around with them and uh, they finally let us in and and so when we were leaving he said Hey, what's his name? And I said, and uh, the person with him said, uh, Carl Dean. And he said, no, the other one. And, and he said, hey, Richard, come back. So Paul McCartney said one of my names, which was exciting. <laughs> and, uh, um, he said, you need to find out who it is that um, that's coming to Lippa. And I said, okay, well, I'll find out and I'll tell him and he can tell him and he can, everyone can tell. He said, here's what I'm going to do. The first day I'm back. I'll call him to, I know, I know it was woman. I'll call her to the office. I'll say, how are you coming with your studies? And she'll say, oh, Sir Paul, I'm trying very, very hard. And I'll, and he said, I'll say, well, you better study hard because I know people back in Nashville, Tennessee. 
<laughs> that, that's great. I'm a McCartney Southern accent. <laughs> hey, Richard, you have uh, written not one but two books on on the Beatles. I, at first blush, you might say um, everything that could be uncovered, including this you know new documentary that that was put together. Uh, you know, three pieces of you know eight hours, ten hours, whatever it was. Uh, what, what, what motivated you, what wasn't told or, or in the right way that you felt compelled to, uh, to unearth or, or try to, uh, take a different angle on, on a, uh, on a group on four people that have been chronicled, uh, every which way. Well, uh, my book's called the business wisdom of the Beatles. And I took it and took their entire career and broke it into 11, two and three page chapters that took, uh, one, I like that, by the way, I like that, that, that stuff I can digest it. <laughs> yeah. Don't make read. it. Yeah. Yeah, That's you can get it in the bathroom. It's it's a nice toilet. <laughs> That's, <her. laughs> That's kind of what I was getting to. Yes. Yeah. No matter how long it takes, I'm, I got it. I got you covered. So <laughs> that, and I took what they did and 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 showed how you could incorporate it to anything, like a podcast host or a real estate agent or a drummer in a rock band or. An airline pilot or whatever you might be doing. And uh, and the reason I did it was I'd had four Beatles festivals here in town uh, and I'd had almost everyone that I could find who'd ever been associated with the Beatles or the, uh, Joey Mullen from Badfingers, the one that gave me this idea. I said it must have been horrible being on Apple Records because we've heard about how through the years the, the story is and it's really a myth that that Apple was 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 a, was a from a and he said that Apple saved his life. Uh, unfortunately, it, it didn't save his bandmates' lives because, as many know, two of the Badfinger members ended up committing suicide because their manager stole all their money. But once Apple found out their manager was siphoning all the money, they they stopped all that. And he said Apple's the best-run business that he's ever been associated with. So one thing I wanted to do was debunk that myth. Apple did give away everything in their boutique, which people famously know or know about, where they had this... Uh, boutique and they had clothes and all kinds of things and they gave away about two million dollars of of they just said everybody who wants anything in the boutique come take it away well giving away those two million pounds saved them about four million pounds because it, at the time they were in a 95 percent tax rate in england they had a super tax if you made over a certain amount of money so every time they every time the band made a dollar that the band only got five percent that they had to give 25 percent to epstein and then the three had 75 cents to split among them so the four had the 25 cents to split among them so uh, the beatles were were really pretty shrewd people as it turns out that's great now talk about uh the hippie radio show hippie radio you can find it on your you can stream it anywhere <laughs> um you do the show and I've, I've, I've just heard it, like the folks that you're talking about for your Fab Four festival, you're able to locate and associate with guys who've recorded with, hung with, been in some sort of the Beatles circle of uh, six degrees of reach. You're, you're talking to these folks. Is uh, Talk about how all that show came together and just uh, what you talk about and some of your guests have been on that show. Yeah, it's been exciting. When What happened was uh, Hippie Radio had – uh, a 50th anniversary uh, celebration of the 50th anniversary. They'd been on Ed Sullivan, and, and they had it at the uh, at the Brett, at the bar they have there. And uh, only uh, only uh, hold 75, 175 people, and they had something like 2,000 people show up to watch the Wanna Beatles sing like they did on the radio show on the 
Ed Sullivan show. And so uh, hip, the Omni Nashville Hotel called Hippie and said, we want to sponsor your Beatles radio show. You have one, don't you? And, and the manager there being shrewd said, well, yes, of course we do. Of course we do. They didn't. So she called me and said, can you talk, can you, you think you could stretch this thing out to a year? And I said, I, I think we can do that. And then uh, now it's been eight and a half years. And uh, it's really been funny because people want to be on the show because, you know, as you are here, we're here in Nashville and people want to be there. And uh, I'm going to see if I can. I don't know. Is that how you shut your daughters up? <laughs> that is, we're going to have to edit that out, Richard. No, we're not. I just, that, that's, uh, we're going to steal that My technique. goodness, we that just laws beautiful. were just broken. Richard Holy just cow. threw a beanbag or something at his daughters. That was, great. that was, was it, was a, a, please tell me that was your dog. That was a great, no. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was, that was my, that was my pet elephant. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that was great. Okay. Yeah. All right. He's on yard stream, by the way. It, it's a or stream yard. Um, I'm dyslexic, but this is a, if you're you know, obviously listening to this, he's not in our, in the room. So if you're hearing some background, that's, that's what's going on, but continue Richard. Yeah. Well, anyway, so, uh, so we did the show and then I just started calling people who've been at the various festivals like Joey Mullen from Badfinger or Denny Sywell, who was the original drummer in wings and Henry McCullough and, um, and Billy J. Kramer, who got all the Lennon McCartney songs that weren't quite good enough for the Beatles, uh, were on were on there. I have a great Billy J. Kramer story. Uh, he he ended up having a big hit called "Bad to Me," uh, that was a Lennon McCartney song. He had hits on about eleven Lennon McCartney songs, as did Peter Asher of Peter and Gordon. But uh, but but Billy J. Kramer was at Paul McCartney's twenty-first birthday party, and someone made a a derogatory remark to John Lennon. It was the, the DJ at the cavern where the Beatles sort of got their start. And, um, and then, um, the, the cavern person, uh, was attacked by John Lennon and had the heck beat out of him. John was quite the, the street fighter. And so, but later that night and he was, he got drunk later on, Lennon did, and he ran into Billy J. Kramer, whose real name was Billy Kramer. And, and John said, you need to stick a J or a P or a Y or something in there and make yourself sound interesting. So he went with Billy J. Kramer. <laughs> be interesting so he said i want to lennon said i want to see you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock at emi studios and play a play a song that i think i might give you and so he he played billy kramer went over there to the studios and he thought it's 50 50 whether lennon would show up or not and lennon did show up and he played him bad to me and he said yeah we'll take it uh that, that sounds great thanks john and then john said here's another one that's a little bit strange um but we, we think we may try it. But if, if it doesn't work for us, we can't get it right. We'll give it to you. And he played him. I want to hold your hand. Oh, my. Billy Kramer said, you know, um, you're right. That, that one's a little strange. I, I, don't, I don't think you should, should take a chance on that one. You need to give that one to us. And Lennon said, no, I, th I, think, I, I think we'll just take that one. And of course, that became their first number one song at, in the United States. This is going to be a, a broad uh, brush question. But I think there was a movie years ago as I was driving here to uh, Old Hickory, I was reflecting on there was a movie made and I may not have the premise exactly right, but it was about the fact that it was an alternate universe where the Beatles didn't exist, but this guy did. And he became kind of, he was the guy. And so it was kind of, my point is, do you think that John and Paul and, and, uh, and how they got together and it, we know that they were young lads and they wrote songs when they were, you know, 10, 12, 13, whatever, was this inevitable that they were going to get together and, and they were going to lead this, this incredible journey? Everybody thinks, I think, 
anybody 30 and under thinks the Beatles been together. Oh, they were together probably 25 years. I mean, it was a very short time in the lives. But do you think this was inevitable um, that they were going to make it? Well, it's it's unbelievable, really, that it happened, uh, that those that those people came out of Liverpool, England, which at the time was the second most bombed. Of course, this was, they got together in 56 and then the war had ended in 45, World War Two. And and Liverpool is a port city. And so it was the second most bombed city in all of England. So it was pretty much destroyed. And and the fact that that these people rose through the rubble and not to mention all the other people from Liverpool who made it, uh, you know, they led the whole British invasion and, and about a third of those people were from Liverpool. So it's 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 strange that they would have met each other. And it's interesting, too, that that they would have that they would have let each other in the group. And what's funny is people watch this and, and now people are hearing more and more about George Harrison being overlooked because he in this documentary, Get Back, you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know something to them and he, and he has that line something in the way she moves attracts me like and he couldn't think of what the next line would be and he and it was it ended up being like no other lover and and le- and he kept going on and on and he was driving john and paul crazy and and john said let's just put in there attracts me like a cauliflower we'll go back to it later <laughs> in the end what was it that caused the beatles just to say forget it we're quitting as this lineup well george if you if you listen to the Decca auditions, which is the first real audition that we have a recording of, and it's the first audition they had, Decca Records, who turned them down because guitar bands were on the way out. Uh, and so Decca turned them off. But if you listen to their audition, this is when they had Pete Best was their drummer. And uh, George Harrison had as many lead vocals as John and Paul. And and, and George joined the band when, when like a... a few six months after Paul did and went through the whole Hamburg thing and the cavern and the whole nine yards. So George felt felt that he was an equal member and uh, and he was he was being overlooked. John and Paul took over, starting with Sergeant Pepper, and and they elevated themselves to a place that and that they, and they and they did take George Harrison for granted, as did George Martin, their producer. So George didn't like it anyway. They they couldn't stand touring and, and McCartney was 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 the de facto leader. John had been the leader throughout the years, just mainly because he was the oldest and he had such a strong personality. But but Paul would starting, and John says this, that, that Paul would call and say, I've got 10 songs ready, let's go in the studio. And and John would think, oh, heck, I have I don't have anything. And he'd write, you know, seven or eight songs real quick and get in there. And luckily he could do things like eat some cornflakes and write good morning or, or t- open the newspaper and write, I read the news today, oh boy, a day in the life. Uh, so he was, he, you know, they were both geniuses in their own way. McCartney was much more gifted musically and could sing. His range was, of course, much better. So uh, I think the fact that they both elevated Lennon McCartney and then and then Ringo had, and like in, in, in recording Sergeant Pepper, which was at that time, you know, the greatest rock and roll album of all time. Some argue it still is. And all if you ask George what happened there, he said, I learned how to play chess and Ringo just wandered around drunk most of the time. So, uh, they had determined that, into- that came, that came through in the documentary, I think. Yeah, he was, he was wiped out, you know, and bored and hung over and drunk and yeah. Yeah. So it had turned into Paul McCartney and his backing band anyway. And so George wanted out because he thought he was good and he was, he had toured with Delaney and Bonnie and friends and some of their friends were people like Eric Clapton and they'd gotten to be good buddies with Clapton. He'd brought Clapton in to play, um, on while my guitar gently weeps. So he was ready to, to do something other. He didn't like being a Beatle, which none of us can fathom, especially back then we thought who would, 
we all wanted to be Beatles, you know, and, and then that's what uh, Ronnie Brooks said one day as uh, he was in that band, uh, the Piggies, who were very popular here and in in when Lennon was killed. And he said when Lennon was killed, that's that killed killed like thousands of musicians dreams who, who had always hoped they'd be Billy Preston and be the next person to play with the Beatles. And, and there'd, there'd certainly be no more Beatles after Lennon was shot. I have a, another funny thing about about that Lennon thing is uh, my wife has a PR firm and one of the people who works there came up to me at a party and said when the night Lennon was shot, uh, the phone rang at his house and it was the New York Police Department. And John Lennon's murderer, Martin David Chapman, had called this person, Philip McGowan's father, as his one phone call. And his father couldn't remember who he was. His father's a minister. And and he had been a, an altar boy or an acolyte or whatever. He was a Methodist. I don't know what they called him at that church. But uh, he he called Chapman and, 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 and they have continued to communicate all this time. So I ran into Philip's father and uh, I said, would you give me ask him if I could interview him sometime. And, 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 uh, his father said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll ask him. He asked him, he said, yeah, he'd like to, he gave me his contact info and I put it in my, in my database, but I never thought a thing about it. Every now and then I think about going up there. He's in, he's in prison in, in, in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't really remember that he was even in my database. And Joe gets a lot of my, I, I send out three postcards a year and, uh, and Mark David Chapman started getting them, you know, and but oh the oh and so he, he that's sweet of you. Said, Thank you. <laughs> Mark Chapman it says, Hey, I see where you I had a picture of my children at All Saints Chapel in Swanee where I went to college. And he said, I see you're a Christian. Well, I'm a Christian too. Uh, let's chat. And I had to go on this thing called JPAL where you where you pay that's how you, you communicate with people who are in prison. And this email had been forwarded from his wife from Chapman to his wife. And so I started, so I, I wrote Mark Chapman and said, well, it's very interesting to hear from you. And he told me about how he had, uh, you know, he, why he, he sent me a, a, a little brochure actually that why he did it. Uh, it was all ego, ego driven that he wanted to be famous. And, uh, he would, of course he was nuts. He flew in from Hawaii and stayed at the Y and, and, and he shot him. But, but then when J, what's funny is when J pal goes down, this is the communication system that you can communicate with inmates. I'll get an email from J pal that says, sorry, but you're not able to communicate with your loved one today. And I never, never thought of myself as being the loved one. Of there, there's a third book in your future. <laughs> just trying to explain yourself out of that. Hey, I, I want to, um, we're going to let you go in just a second. We have another segment and I do want to ask, um, the, the Beatles never played in Nashville, but they did play in Tennessee. And we'll get to where and why in a moment. But uh, rapid, 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 rapid fire, fire, rapid fire, rapid, pew, 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 rapid pew, fire. Pew. Richard, I, I know we did not prep you on this segment, but uh, we do some rapid fire response questions, just random things that come to your into your uh, into your grape. So, uh, are you ready for that? Yes. Favorite Beatles album? Uh, it depends on the day, but Pepper Abbey Road are the two, and and uh, Revolver. Okay, so your top three is that's tough to do. They've never. That's good. Most underrated <laughs> Beatles song. I would say it. It probably was "Here Comes the Sun" until they. 
they released their music electronically and on uh, iTunes, and then it went to number one and stayed there forever, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, so that's that's one. And then I always liked uh, "It Won't Be Long," which was supposed to be the single after "I Want to Hold Your Hand," but it wasn't it wasn't good enough apparently. If you could go back to your eighteen year old self and give your old self advice, what would it be? Uh, read the book that I'm going to write in 40 years. Uh, no, I would say that if I, I would give, follow, follow my passion. I hate it that I only got into immersing myself more into Beatles when I was about by the, that time, 50 years old or something. If I had started, uh, you know, working more on books and things like that when I was younger. Biggest pet peeve. Uh, when someone argues that Joe Elvis is a better drummer than Ringo. <laughs> oh, that comes up. I mean, you can set your watch to that argument. Yeah, Joe uh, Joe Elvis, drummer of government cheese for the last uh, 40, 40 years. That'd be me. Yeah. No, that's you. Yeah, oh, that's good. No, I yeah. am better than Ringo. And Tommy, your, your bandmates, one, this is a band that has not broken up or they've had people mm -hmm. leave and, and come back, but you still get along and you still play gigs. You know, Richard, I don't know if you know that they uh, they played uh, Louisville and, and uh, Basement East not too long ago and, and had, a, had a good they get together about every five years. Oh, yeah, they're amazing. And, and the personalities in that band or something, especially with Tommy. Tommy's great. And Richard uh, will bring up that Eggman pub publishing. Tommy Womack was a guest here, actually our very first guest on the uh, second cup of Joe. 1984, hey, I believe. He, no, <laughs> on our year 20th anniversary <laughs> edition. Uh Richard Courtney produced or published Tommy's book, Cheese Chronicles. And man, that thing still lives today, Richard. Oh, it's an amazing book. It's funny because uh, I knew Joe before I knew Tommy. And, and Joe said, hey, the, our tar player thinks he might have written a book or something and wonders if you would read it. And, and uh, I was living in a condo or in a Vanderbilt area. And, and Tommy slid it under my door. And I was, I was actually watching Backbeat, the story of the Beatles in Hamburg. And I saw this thing slide under my door. And it was about 11 or 12 at night. And I started reading it. And it's, it, it was the best thing I'd ever read then. It's the best thing I've ever read now. It's, it's amazing. And it was so successful. If there had been an Amazon at the time where people could get their hands on it, and if we'd had more distribution, we were a very small publishing company, he, he would be, uh, you know, he would be bigger than the Beatles. Well, you know, there's always people that come in your life and you're one of those guys that came into our lives. That was always great. And I'm, I mean, that book still lives. He still gets a couple calls and it comes out and it's people hand it or wherever we'll play or go. They'll go, oh, I read that book and just absolutely loved it. So from all of us, thank you, Richard. Oh, yeah, it's an amazing book. Thank you. Uh, my, my final question, uh, last meal, what would it be? Uh, well, I had the heart condition, so I've had to be vegan for a while. So I would eat uh, Chateaubriand and filet mignon and lobster and everything that that I haven't been able to eat in the last eight years. Do you have name three influential people? Uh, you're quite diverse as a very successful real estate guy and all the musical stuff we're talking about. Name the three most influential people in your life and how they impacted you. Well, uh, if you put the Beatles as one entity, that that has really driven me uh, since I was eight years old, really. And then uh, and then Lee Williams is a person who invited me to m move to Nashville and gave me a place to live here when I when I came here in 1978. 
Where where did you grow up, Richard? I grew up in Columbia, Tennessee. Oh, South. okay, so Murray, Murray County. Yeah. And I went to school at Sewanee, just down the road. So I have I haven't traveled uh, all over the place as far as living in different towns. So I've lived in this area in my entire life. And then uh, on top of that, uh, I don't know who. Uh, I don't know. Just so, so many people have been so, you know, and that's the best part about Nashville is, uh, and this is, I, I teach real estate classes is, uh, I have a thing where if you, you know, when I see someone that's in the newspaper over and over in any of the, the scene or anything, a lot of times I'll just write them a note that say, I really uh, congratulate you on whatever you've done or appreciate what you're doing. Love to meet you sometimes. And it's amazing how quickly people are eager to share their time and, and their insights into things. And I've, I've gotten to know all kinds of people that I've never dreamed I'd ever meet just by dropping them a little note or an email or something and saying, would you want to go to breakfast sometime? And, the, and, and this is a very giving community, not only uh, charitable, you know, Nashville is, it ranks in the top mm-hmm. two or three every year, but also as far as people just giving their time and their, and their knowledge to others. So it's been a great place to live and glean from everyone around here. Richard, talk about um, you. You just alluded to there, talking about your heart. You've had Richard's a, a tremendous on-the-go guy all the time. I think you'd say highly motivated. Talk about your challenges since COVID, because other folks have probably gone through that, and how just a great attitude and pressing forward. How you, you've got to where you are now. Well, when COVID started, we didn't know what would happen because, especially the first three or four uh, months, uh, you know, when the city shut down, but we were we were considered an essential business. We in the real estate business. So what was interesting is our sales here in Nashville never lagged in, in COVID, but the interesting thing, and this is kind of a PSA, but a friend of mine, I have a 13 year old twins. got a little late start on that. And, uh, and (laughs) (laughs) Joe said you were 48. So not, not too bad. bad. Okay. So my wife and I were 99 when we had our first children, uh, Way to go, Abraham. That's the fourth book. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but one of my friends, one of my son's friends who I coach in basketball and baseball, he said, uh, I met his, saw his mother one day. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm in concierge medicine. And I didn't even know what it was. And uh, and it's a service offered by all the hospitals. I, she happens to be at Vanderbilt. And so I enrolled in, and then pay 3000 a year. And then she monitors all what all the various doctors are prescribing for me. And she ran me through a battery of tests and she didn't like the way my red blood count was. And also my liver function, I mean, my kidney function and, uh, and my primary care physician said, that's the way he's been for seven years. There's nothing wrong with him. And she sent me to some oncologists here and hematologists there. And they said, no, he's fine. She, she just didn't like it. She wouldn't take no for an answer. So she did a bone marrow biopsy and found out I had this, this disease called multiple myeloma, which is a cancer of the blood. And she had caught it so early that there were, you know, I had no symptoms. So it was very fortunate, but then I had to go through three months of chemo. So I didn't have much of an immune system. And then I got COVID. So I was in the hospital ICU for a week there back in January. Then I finally got over COVID, which is horrible if you haven't had it, especially if you get the pneumonia, which I had. And then I had three more months of chemo. And and now I've had a stem cell transplant, which is an amazing thing where they took nine, harvested nine million stem cells from me and then froze them and then uh, shot me full of all sorts of things to make my red blood count uh, increase. And then they stuck, five million of my own stem cells back in me. And uh, so uh, that's been quite a journey and still going on. Uh, I'm still, that's why I'm here today. I'm quarantined for another 30 days, 
following my 30 days following the stem cell transplant. So it's, it's been, it's been tough, but I have a real estate partner. So I still do everything I do normally, only I don't show up at the houses. And uh, so the market here is thriving. Even this interest rate, uh, I do write an, another thing. I write a column every week in the Nashville ledger. And so I have to write a little term paper on real estate every week, whether I want to or not, which is a good thing to have, uh, uh, have a deadline. And so uh, home sales have, Increased even after three weeks ago when the Fed raised the interest rate by 75 points, which mm -hmm. was, you know, 0.075%. Uh, and we're, we're expecting another one, but, but still things aren't slowing down here in Nashville and they won't. And even Dave Ramsey, who wrote the forward to my book, Buyers Are Liars and Sellers Are Too, he, he's telling people to buy now and he's probably the most conservative person on earth. And, uh, so it's still a good time to buy here in Nashville and, and they have a new thing. They say date, date the rate, marry the house. So if you find a house you want, marry it and get an adjustable rate mortgage for a little while and everything's going to settle down sometime over the next five years or so. And, th and then switch back into a fixed rate at that point. But uh, things are, are, are going well in spite of COVID, in spite of everything here in town, at least. Well, you look absolutely great. Joe and John have come to the fork in the road. That might have been a good fork in the road right there. That was. Kind of got kind of got ahead of the schedule but here, that, got ahead of I the like script. That. But no, I like this. We, uh, part of our show, Richard, we like to um, get, you know, look, we're a bunch of three old guys and we want to, you know, give as much advice or life lessons as we, as we talk about it. But there's always this, I'm fascinated with, in somebody's life, it could be when you're 12 or 20 or 48 or 58, there's a fork in the road. There's one thing that happened in your life of, of many that sticks out to go, if I would have done this or not done this, it's either meeting a spouse or a job interview or one you didn't get or so forth. So we want to hear about the fork in the road. I want people that listen to this kind of go, yeah, I. I, I've been through that too. We want it to be Maybe relatable. I've there. Sure. Maybe I've been there. So uh -huh. anyway, this is this is a segment called Fork in the Road. And and I'm wondering, Richard, is there a, a fork in your road that, that really sticks out with you? Uh, maybe in your youth or something that you just went, wow, that I that really took me down a different path. Yeah, it's it's interesting for me. I had always thought I would go to Vanderbilt. Uh, my father had gone there and aunts and uncles, grandfathers and so on. And and so when it got to be time to go, uh, I, I had to take the ACT and the SAT. So I took uh, the ACT and did OK. And then uh, the day I was supposed to take the SAT, my basketball team won a game and we had to go to Memphis to play in this tournament. And so I missed it. And so Sewanee, the University of the South in Sewanee near Chattanooga, offered the SAT and they wanted me to come there. And I said, do I still get to send it to three, three different schools? And they said, yeah. So I, I take the SAT at Sewanee and sent the scores to Vanderbilt and Sewanee and, and also the University of Kentucky. And, uh, and, and Sewanee accepted me immediately. They, they really wanted me to come there. And then Vanderbilt uh, had not accepted me and it was getting close to the deadline. So I sent $100 to Sewanee to reserve my spot. And the next week, I got a letter from Vanderbilt accepting me to Vanderbilt. And my dad said, well, do you want to go to Vanderbilt? And I said, you got to be kidding. I'm not going to waste a hundred bucks. You know, so, so over over a hundred dollars, I went. Good to call. <laughs> and if you've never been, anyone's never been to the University of it's the gorgeous. South at Swanee, it's on top of Mont Eagle. I think you made the correct decision. What an absolutely beautiful school. Do you have a house up there, too? Yep. Now we have, I, you know, most of us who go there just can't get over the place. And we stayed yeah. forever. 
That's and right. one time I was walking down one of the dorm uh, outdoor courtyards and I, and I heard someone playing Norwegian wood mm-hmm. through the window. And it was a fellow named Bill Ruhlman and he and I have uh, started writing songs and he could actually play and sing. And, and uh, I don't know if Joe's ever heard me try any, either one of those things, but it's pretty pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> that that be that'll be for part two. Uh, we we promised you a, a hard out at a certain time, but I don't want to overpromise, underdeliver. Thirty seconds on why and when the Beatles played Memphis, never played Nashville. Well, uh, Memphis was much larger at the time, and and they wanted to record in Memphis actually, and and they were very excited about recording there. And then the musicians' union wouldn't allow them because they weren't members of the musicians' union here in the United States. And they went there, and it was unfortunate for me because I had tickets to go. But the, John Lennon had made his statement, which is another show, that the Beatles were more popular than Christ. And so my, I was only 12. So my dad had, had read that the KKK was going to march and they were going to blow up the auditorium and all that. And he said, you know, the monkeys are going to be here on New Year's Day. What if we get your tickets to the monkeys? And uh, and then you don't have you won't see the Beatles. And I said, well, that's you know. Yeah, it was back then. Yeah. They, and they played two shows. Right. That that day, which is. And 11 songs, I think, right? They played a, like a late afternoon and then an eight o'clock show or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and if you look at the, the shots from above, and they were only about half, the the, the uh, matinee was only about half sold out. It's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. Richard, uh, Beatles historian, author, radio host, speaker, great friend, great guy. Uh, may God bless you and keep you here in your recovery and uh, get that beautiful flow. Richard's one of those guys with gray monster hair. It's like a freaking he'll, he'll get looks it like a symphony conductor. He'll, he'll get it back. So you, you know, what's not coming, coming back, back is, is the, is the thing that he, he threw the object at. I've not heard. It's what, been very that, quiet it in his house quiet, man. ever since. Would you, would you <laughs> please market whatever that thing you threw was? It was tremendous. The the house was instantly quiet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that my it? object's usually a shoe and then i'll hit something that i didn't mean to and now i got a broken light yeah. richard hey thanks thanks for your time and insight really appreciate it love thanks. you it's all love right you. richard courtney beatles historian i could listen to i mean there's stories he didn't get to which would be amazing well we really didn't touch on his real estate side just kind of we since we're nashville centric and talking about the city he has great opinion since as he said he moved here in 1978 i was looking through his website he's selling a condo downtown for 10 million dollars we've both been here long enough to know that church street you know it ain't that kind of place uh 15 years ago and now it's a top one of those top floors on one of the new condo things and it's probably the entire top floor i'm guessing so so i lived down downtown in 2001 at the corner of seventh and church it was benny dillon which was an old whenever i mentioned that to a person 20 years older they always cringed and i said what's wrong they said well that was when i grew up in nashville that was the doctor's office and that's where we would get our shots Uh so they didn't like the benny dillon building and then i moved down to Cress, and it was not one of those high rises but it, it was a historical building next to um Woolworths, I think, and it was literally the Crest mm-hmm. building, which is a, a, a store. Uh, and, but all those used to be parking lots, and so that took parking away. And like, there's no way that Tony Gerontana is going to put in a 50 story. Oh, heck, he didn't. Sure, it's crazy. If you ever of been them down now. there, if you come to Nashville, we look like our an erector set. There's 15 cranes, yeah, poked up with new uh, high buildings around. 
around town. Uh, I want to get back to your fork. I want a fork in the road from you. Okay. And that uh, fork, by the way, when you wash it, you put it down in the bottom. Down. down to, down put to it the down. If people are skipping through the podcast, they, the that's down. good. That's a good way to weave things back. Yes. And that's You don't get that on every Rewind podcast. Rewind and find out why you should put forks no. and knives down. My fork in the road would probably probably be kind of like Richard's going to Swanee instead of Vanderbilt. All my friends out of Hendersonville High School, the commandos, uh, in 1981 when I graduated high school, all my friends went to UT, University of Tennessee, three hours up the road here to the east. I went to Western Kentucky University, an hour north in Bowling Green, Kentucky, home of the Corvette. And uh, that's really what changed my life. That one decision, I met all the guys that would, would be the band Government Cheese, which rolled into my broadcasting career that lasted 23 years, which led to meeting you, which meant to leading meeting the guys that I now fly my private jets for and such. So it's just one of those weird decisions. Where had I been if I'd gone to UT? You know, I mean, it's uh, it was that one decision coming out of graduating high school, which was pretty big because all my friends were up there. I went to Western not knowing one person. Um, so it uh, boom, that's the way it is. Je February 4th, not 2005. I'm the lottery guy in the Tennessee lottery. I'm the guy that pulls the ping pong balls. Like People every don't night at a that. certain time? Uh, 628 and, and uh, 958. And those are live. At, at, at News 2. And they needed somebody to pull the ping pong balls. So I did. Part of that agreement was to go and do a live show, three live shows around the state, one in Memphis, one in Nashville, one in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, to give away a million dollars live on the air. They had three contestants that had bought scratch-off tickets to put the names on the back. They drew them out randomly. One person would go home with 10000 One would go home with 25000 one would go home with one million. Wow. I'm in the tuxedo. We're playing games of chance. It's not a trivia thing. So it's not how it's just random. <clears throat> so at the end of the <clears throat> broadcast, you know, the uh, Joe Bag of Donuts wins the million dollars. Uh, Rebecca from the lottery comes up and the balloons are falling and the big check comes out. And I give away a million dollars. So that evening, I'd just been divorced and I uh, called my wingman uh, and said, uh, you want to get a late dinner? I'm coming in hot from Gatlinburg. It'll be about 830. Yeah, let's go to P.F. Chang's on West End. So we go there, have a late dinner and uh, in comes uh, a person that has changed my life. Uh, she walks in with her girlfriend and boyfriend. And uh, my wingman said to me, <laughs> my wife, now wife, hates this line. He, he just says, that's right up your alley. I turned around and there was my now wife, Lindley, uh -huh. that night. She had just gotten out of a relationship, scraped off the couch. Hey, let's go out. Let's just get a drink. So I meet her there and I, I joked that my opening line to her was, and Lindley's going to fast forward the podcast 30 seconds because she hates this. Um, I said to her, oh, God, I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I just gave away a million dollars today to somebody I don't even know. Nice. What what you do? What nice? <laughs> That's good, <laughs> and it's true. It wasn't my million dollars. It was the state of Tennessee. Absolutely. So that was the night. You know, had I not been hungry, had I had the game not the game, it's just that's a fork in the road when you just happenstance. And I met, and we knew the next day that um, our lives were probably going to change. She she uh, yeah, that's just you know. But it's the everybody has that fork in the road mm -hmm. if they 
did something or didn't do something. So that's kind of why I wanted to do this segment. Now, I like that. Will what, it stick? What, I don't know if it'll stick. What anniversary did you just celebrate? Just happened. 12. 12. Yep. There it is. Yeah, wow. Yeah, 12 years good. ago. Why was that your wedding? Yeah, you were. That was, East yeah, Nashville, East hot Nashville. as hell outside. It, it was, was 95 was degrees. It was great. We, 18 minute ceremony. There's a lots of booze. Who, who, who didn't? Who, it was great. who didn't think that was? Yeah, 95. <laughs> I think I did. We not get the pastor from St. Uh, yeah, Episcopal Tony, Tony Welty, the That's Reverend right. Tony Welty. Yeah, he wore he wore a um, who he was late. Well, he was late, and he and he had on a a, a, a hair bones uh, bl blazer yeah. that was you know like why don't you just you know put on a fur coat and be done with it? Yeah, yeah, but no. John that asked me asked me for a recommendation. I was heavily involved St. George's Episcopal Church, West Nashville. Recommended Tony. You all were great together. But the day of the wedding, John keeps walking up. Uh, Have you seen Tony, Joe? Uh, no, hang on. I'm calling and calling and calling. And he's one of those guys that never answers his phone. But then, boom, there he is. Hey, he, no, he showed up on time. What's wrong? Started. What's wrong? Yeah. One other, one other story about that night is uh, uh, Kevin Smith, the guy on the Make-A-Wish board at the time who was at the wedding, said, uh, you know, John, uh, Lindley didn't exactly come out down the aisle on time. And I'm like, I, yeah, there was a there was, well, I saw her running down the alley the other way. And I'm like, what, what was going on? Well, she was in the. Uh, van that we had to have air conditioning for the for the bridal party or whatever and so i'm waiting at the altar and the, you know here comes my mom here comes my dad and you know, my brother and everybody and um uh, no lindley and and uh, uh they we had the band uh this these three guitarists play uh an elton john song called love song i think it's on uh chateau yeah, oh, no. could have been could have been tumble i think it was uh, chateau yeah. love that beautiful uh, sandy duncan wrote it and it's it's got a beautiful and they keep looping this and we, I keep waiting for my wife and I'm like, this isn't happening. And finally she shows up and I said afterwards, what happened? She said, I forgot my, we were talking in the back. We got talking with my girlfriends and I, you know, we didn't realize people were leaving. And then I forgot my vows. We wrote each other vows out in the back of the van. The van's pulling away and she's running down uh, the back of the alley at East Nashville in her outfit. Beautiful dress. And I'm like, so and I didn't know that happened, but everybody else thinks she, you know, had, had, uh, you know, not cold feet, but lukewarm feet. I but thought anyway. you were going to say she found a guy who had a million dollars and didn't give it away. <laughs> that would have been, been that would have been her. That, that could have been a fork in the road for her. That's her that. fork in the road. If we ever had, you know, we, will we ever have our, uh, our wives on? We, I mean, that would be, we that will would have, be a show. We, we should have our wives do the show one time. It'll be the second cup yeah. of Lindley. And Jim. Well, one thing when I did, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Kim, that would be good. My my wife's name's Jim. Uh, just one one last thing to just yeah. run this into the ground <laughs> because why not? <laughs> Who doesn't want to hear how people got engaged? Oh right. my God, I just want to put two fingers on my throat. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, when we got engaged, because uh, we, we were dating for uh, three years, and and we got engaged, and then we didn't really set a date, and uh, I said to her mom. And I said, uh, you know, Ann, this is the anniversary of the day I asked your daughter to marry me. And she said, What's really, really, it's the first anniversary of you two not being married. Oh, uh, scorch. We, we, we set a date soon, soon after. So June 5th. Yeah. And thanks for being there. Yeah. And by great. the way, the picture frame that you got me, you and Kim got me and Lindley still is in our kitchen flipping. We continue to roll it. One of the great eight. Hey, you talk about getting stuff you don't get on every podcast. An electric picture frame is perfect because digital, digital picture. You, know, you, you keep, you keep loading it up and it makes you stop as you have your second cup of coffee mm -hmm. and you'll stare at a picture from Italy or from 
Napa or, you know, Disney World or whatever. And we got one for my 90 year old father. And I, I think he uses it a lot because it, it, it knocks back, you know, memories. It's it just, does. We right do that here. with my parents and you can even load pictures on it um, still. you know, my, And you can do it with an app now. It's not as as right. cumbersome as that. Um, another segment. You're saying there's more to this. And now a random date in Middle Tennessee history. It's not just any date. We want to be extra lazy and say pick a random date. Of course. I'm interested to see what it is. is. Um, Look, Main Street Media, uh, big influence in the Donut Counties around Nashville. Uh, A lot of publications do very well there. And I I thought we would kind of, this kind of the ode to some of the smaller towns. And so I picked out uh, October 25th, 1803. You were were four years old. I was four. I was in diapers, cutting teeth. No, uh, Dixon County was created. On that day in 1803, uh, Dixon was formed from, I bet you didn't know this, from Montgomery and Robertson counties. The county was named for William Dixon, a Nashville physician and statesman who served in Congress at the time. I so, know it better as it's the halfway point between here and Memphis. I know it as uh, having Greystone Country Club <laughs> or golf course. Been, been up there. Been up there. There's some great diners down there, too. There's downtown Dixon. There's one, and forgive me the name. If I knew the name, um, you know, we are looking for, we're not a 501c3. We are looking for sponsors. So I should probably have a few Dixon County possibilities, some, some homegrown businesses. So show prep's going to go a lot better next time. On this. <laughs> Dixon's one of those satellite towns around Nashville that in my radio era, we were the 100,000 watt mother. So we covered Dixon. Oh, you own Dixon. It's still a long ways Dixon. away. Yeah. Lots of Mustangs. And so it uh, they love Nashville, folks. You know, <laughs> it's just one of those thing. places. Like I'm going to the city, and they're talking about Nashville. So uh, it's it's just another part of what makes Middle Tennessee fantastic. We've got one more segment. We're going to squeeze in in this hour. You gotta wear shades. Oh, well, minor transition lenses. Are they dark? Oh, well, well, LJK, well, little JK, our, our producer, can you uh, next time when you do that, I, you didn't get the show notes. Well, you, don't, you didn't look sunglasses. We're going to make we're going to have some mood lighting here in the uh, Main Street Media Studios. But Justin Kulik, our producer, and uh, I'm going to say today is a great day that we wear shades. Main Street Media that John's talking about. If you're listening to this show, love it. If you're watching this show, it's a new day. We're on the visual with the Main Street app. Uh, you can watch us as and watch how this studio develops. This is brand spanking new. So this is day one. Justin has pieced together all this equipment literally about 30 seconds before we started airing. So uh, many shows. Uh, many Don't features. lean back because the paint's still wet. I'm, I'm afraid I'm I can smell it. And what's funny is if <laughs> is you notice, why I feel a little if you're watching it, you see these outlets above our heads. They're freaking four feet off the ground. This used to be a hair salon. So that's what they would plug all their crap into. But it's... Uh, my, my future's looking bright here at Main Street Media. We're very grateful uh, to be on board with David Gould and company, the owner, and uh, Justin, our producer. It's just tremendous. So it's a great day for us. I, you know, it's another fork in the road because when my wife got me a podcast microphone for Christmas uh, several months ago, she, you know, I just mentioned, I, I don't, I, I think I have something in me. I don't know what it is and I, I can't do it alone. Um, I don't want to have to carry it. I don't think I'm good enough to carry it. 
Uh, and I, but I said, I, I, we, we, I need, I need somebody. And you were the first person I, I'll be honest. You were the first person I thought of. And I thought, do you want to do this now? You're, you know, you're getting off, getting your captain's license and, and you, you got, you know, you're raising two kids. And so it's a lot going on, but, uh, no, we're very thankful to, uh, to be at, at main street, uh, media TV. You're going to hear so much more about this. And this is the, you talk about the future looks bright. Live streaming is where it's at. You're going to cut the cable. Yeah, so many people, so many people are doing it. So, uh, we're so thankful for uh, checking out the new and improved. I don't know. You're going to judge. Edition of Second Cup of Joe and, and John. It's the Second Cup of Joe and John, as their guests expound on any and all topics within the realm of decency. Want to be a sponsor? Let a TV and radio guy help build your business. Email the show, John at gmail.com. Now, hold on tight and grab another second cup of Joe and John. 